Okay, you guys, I am so excited about today's episode because we get to answer your questions when it comes to homeschooling, and we're going to update you on what we are doing for our children's homeschooling when it comes to math, reading, writing, music, uh, history, science, all the things, what curriculums we're using, where our kids are at, how we're doing it. Uh, Elisha and I are both second generation homeschoolers and we get a lot of questions about where our kids are at. So anyways, we're excited to share this with you, share what's working for us currently, what hasn't worked. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to give it a thumbs up. If you are on YouTube and subscribe or click subscribe and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes if you enjoy it. Okay, let's dive in. Now that we're a family podcast. Well, Katie, this is kind of fun that we get to get a homeschooling update. We get to give a homeschooling update uh, on the podcast because I feel like in years past, this would be the type of thing that you would share like on your Instagram or in a vlog. Uh, and obviously you don't do that anymore. We don't do that with any now that we're a family stuff. And so it's fun to be able to talk it out and kind of give people a vision of what our day looks like. Yeah, Elisha and I both love this aspect of our home, which is educating our children. I feel very aligned with you. I feel like this is very much a team effort when it comes to all of our kiddos. One, we have to rely on each other, I feel like, because we have a lot of little children. Uh, but also, it's kind of a passion of ours. Like, we talk about it a lot. Yeah, there, I could see you and me definitely having a, there being a danger of you and I obsessing over our children's performance in various categories uh, because it's so fun. Like it is so rewarding to see your children learn new things, grasp new things. And I feel like I, one of my favorite parts about it in homeschooling is I feel like I get to go back to school. I really feel like I've had, I've developed this new love for learning. I say new. Yeah. I, I don't ever remember enjoying education this much in my entire life. Yeah, because I think you're able to see very clearly like the purpose for it. Like we know our why, we know our reason. And that's something we really want to communicate clearly to our children is why they're learning these things, why they're important, uh, and not just have it seem like this mindless thing that we're just making them do because every other kid in America has to do this. And, you know, Elisha said obsessing over our kids' performance, but that's not in a way where we do have high goals for our kids, just like we have high goals for ourselves, but that's not like, oh, they'd better, you know, do this thing or we're going to be bummed out. It's more just like we, we're super affirmative of our kids and we think that anything they do is really noteworthy. We're kind yeah. of more of those parents. No doubt. <laughs> like, no way. He drew his first A. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, exactly. When I when I mean obsess over their results, it's like we obsess over their results regardless of what they are. Like, yeah, we any, just think they're awesome. And uh, yeah, I feel zero stress or angst when it comes to them hitting a particular level of academics or reaching a, a certain stature of in, in any of the categories that we're educating them in. Uh, it it when I yeah, it's just so fun. Every accomplishment that they are able to make, I feel. It's just a big family win. 
Yeah. And so maybe starting with, I I already feel like the time is too short to talk about this as I was writing notes. We're going to try to keep this short and concise. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But starting first with our foundation and the philosophy of education when it comes to our children, there's a lot of buzzwords out there. And we've definitely used some of them on this podcast because we've been very inspired by different philosophies. We are classically educating our children. If I was going to say we have a bent in our education, it is towards the classical model of education. That said, we haven't like bought in hook, line, and sinker to any one philosophy. And I think that's because we kind of have our own opinions a little too much. Yeah, we're still very rogue when it comes to <laughs> yeah, homeschooling. As much rogue as, classical. Yeah, which I know is an, an, that's an oxymoron. I feel like that yeah, doesn't it really is. work. But you and I both still have a lot of our parents' blood in us when it comes to educating our children and having a strong opinion and how we're going to do it. Yeah. And I think we look at the tools that different classical education classical uh perspectives have and we love embracing them but and you'll be able to dig into this more you know we found we've found a ton of inspiration from charlotte Charlotte mason of course many of our friends do classical conversations and that is that's probably like the predominant brand i would Mm -hmm. say of of homeschooling class you know classical uh education um and so clearly that's an influence on what we're doing as well uh but it's a little bit of a mix Yeah, it is. And I think I really like uh, Charlotte Mason because she's a more traditional classical model. And we take a lot of the things that we do from her philosophy. However, we don't do that with everything. Like we start our children a little bit earlier. We start them around four years old doing um, more hands-on like stuff, I guess. It's only for about 20 minutes a day, 10 to 20 minutes a day. But because our children are so close together, I really find that I like the head start and I like being able to take things slower and kind of assess where the child's at and have not feel any pressure, I guess, with that six-year-old start date that Charlotte Mason has. I think I would feel a little bit like, okay, game on. We have to crush everything this year. And I kind of like to just dabble my toes in it, get the kids used to formal education, uh, get me used to their learning style and uh, kind of warm in gradually to that first grade starting at six years old. So, I mean, that's one example of something that we would do different than a Charlotte Mason model. Um, And then with classical conversations, that neoclassical education, the new classical education, uh, we, we really like a lot of those things. I, I have, been on the cusp of joining a classical conversations community group how many times i don't know 10 12 <laughs> it's like every quarter every quarter at least yeah Maybe i think we need month. to do this i think we need to do this but at the end of the day i think i have a little too much opinion it's a very rigorous program we already have a very rigorous program going here at home i don't want to squash our kids under all this stuff and i also don't want to get rid of the things that we are spending time on mm. in lieu of doing this this specific model so anyways we kind of pull from everything yeah i do think like you said our your opinion but then also the the desired lifestyle that we have plays a big role in how we're choosing to educate our children and Mm -hmm. thus far it has been academically rigorous even though they are very young and you and i are getting a kick out of that and so i i can and our kids are loving it and and i think that that's really going to be so I, i think that's going to be a fat you know a factor going forward 
Yeah, so should we just dive into subject by subject and go Do through it. this? Okay, so number one subject when it comes to teaching our children, if we could teach them anything, that's how to read. And especially when it came down to having all these little people very close together. So age-wise, I should have started out with this. Our children are, Leon is six and three quarters. I'm going to be specific because I do think that when your children are this age, a lot can happen in a year. So if I'm saying oh. he's doing something at six years old, he's he's three months away from turning seven. So keep that in mind. Lucy is five and three quarters and Louis right at four and a half. Mm -hmm. And those are the three that we are educating. And as far as the, uh, the first three years, I say, so, um, that kind of like pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, I go in detail in the homeschool course that will be linked down below. I tell you exactly what curriculums we use, exactly um, everything I've done to get the kiddos to where they are at right now. Louis is still in that stage, so I'll briefly touch on that, but we aren't going to go very in-depth with where he's at at four and a half. Uh, so, oh yeah, <laughs> when it comes to reading, it's important to us. Oh, I mean, Katie and I love reading. It, it was important in our childhoods. And we have a true love of it from both just like a leisure, entertainment, enjoyment. And then as far as like just learning, you and I really do. And, and this is something that we've connected on since the beginning. You know, like we'd go on dates uh, before we were married and, and talk about like the compound effect. You know, Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. Or we would read self-development books together or, you know, trade self-development books even before we were married. And that's continued on to this day. And so reading has been a huge part of our academic life, but then also our business life and our just overall self-development life. And then obviously our spiritual life, spending tons of time in God's word, and then really enjoying Christian literature as well. Theological books, um, just, yeah, all the books. We like and all the classics. books. And classics. I mean, we oh, read a yeah. ton of classics and we always have. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Cause I, and that's something that I didn't, I didn't know how common or uncommon it was because when, once again, when we were dating, I brought up the, you know, the self-development books, but you, I mean, Count of Monte Cristo was one of your favorites, I believe. Yeah. I read that in five days at 15. Yeah. And it, at, was, and like it was one nerd. of my favorites. I love Scarlet Pimpernel. You love the Scarlet yeah, Pimpernel. Those are like we Sherlock both, Holmes. Yeah. We had a lot of the same like top three or top five books and, and, and I, and you read far more than, than I did, but I still loved a lot of these old books. Uh, and still do. And then since, well, actually the last couple of years, well, yeah, joining the book club has really increased my reading volume as well as yours because you like reading along to some of the books that I'm reading. And then, uh, and then, yeah, doing this whole classical education with our kids has like reignited a lot for the classics between yeah. you and I. I remember reading David Copperfield because you mentioned that you like David Copper Copperfield. That one was really hard for me to get through for oh, whatever mm -hmm. reason. Yeah, but I loved it. I mean, that's probably my... That. Obviously, all of Charles Dickens' books are a little depressing, but that one's my, my favorite for sure. And I feel like the most adventurous. So. My favorite depressing story. Exactly. <laughs> so anyways, we so when it comes down to reading, I go over the basics of how to teach the kiddos to read in the homeschool course. But once they are kind of up and going, they know their sounds, they're blending words, they're doing basic reading, um, we really start getting books based on their interest. Because when a child is interested in the book, they are going to read so much faster. And I don't settle for tears in any subject. That doesn't mean that tears don't happen, but that means we're going, but what I'm saying is that we're going to get out of that tear-filled stage. If I'm hearing a child say, I don't like math, or I'm bad at math, or I don't like reading, I'm bad at reading, or oh, we have to read again then that's on me as the teacher to figure something else out. Mm. And I, yeah, I just, 
I don't want that. I don't want to hear those words coming from my children when it comes to any subject. So we really found this with our oldest when at the beginning of the year, he was just fatigued from his readers. They seemed kind of pointless to him. So we got him the Nate the Great books and he really took off with oh, those. Wow, we couldn't stop him. Yeah, so that, that was really fun. And then great illustrated classics were what he went into next, The Red Badge of Courage, uh, White Fang. Mm. Really loved those. And then um, we watched Sergeant York as a family. And he's like, can you give me a book about that, Mommy? So I ordered him a book on Sergeant York, the the easiest grade I could find. And it's still like a six or seven um, year grade level reader. It's not a reader, it's a book. And he's just forcing his way through that. And I am just like, honey, can we stop and read something else now? Like there's so much vocabulary in this book that he's never even heard before, which makes it really difficult yeah. to and read. I'm guessing he loves it. I'm guessing in that book too, I haven't read it, but there's a lot of like non-words that w- the way that like Sergeant York talked, like, oh yeah, work were yeah, like, like that well, broken English and in the Red Badge of Courage, there's a lot of that, oh, okay. which is fun. He just like totally started embracing this like, youngin like yeah, exactly. I don't know but like you know leaving out the words and all the apostrophes and stuff and yes. I look at it and go cross-eyed but uh so anyways we really want the reading to help foster independence when it comes to training multiple grades at one time even with math there's an element of reading and comprehension involved yeah. so getting them to read is really important and all language arts ties back to reading children are going to have a hard time spelling and communicating writing um anything if they can't read so that's kind of like a focus of ours lucy and leon still read with me in the afternoons at nap time even though they're both independently reading and they have been for a while because we just keep increasing the difficulty level and i i love reading their books with them yeah actually speaking to that are you going to go through kind of how you schedule out the day do you, are you planning on doing that? Are you just going to kind of talk talk Um, more broad strokes can we just go subject by subject maybe or do you want to talk about schedule out the day no i just thought that might be helpful because it i do yeah. I, I love your schedule um just the way you incorporate reading you've talked about this before into mm-hmm. breakfast i mean you've even strategized on how to make math more fun for mm-hmm. leon on the time that you get up and do it with him mm-hmm. uh, so i don't know i think things like that are really fun and helpful but you don't have to yeah yeah time. maybe we could go through by subject but i can say when i do each thing i yes. do have a day in the life that i did not too long ago so i can link that down below too great so people can hear the flow from start to finish nice does that work that's great awesome so reading is something that i do in the afternoons during nap time it's something that i enjoy like i said before i don't schedule anything during nap times that i don't enjoy but it's really nice to have that quiet one-on-one time with each child Mm -hmm. Uh, it's chaotic otherwise um and then like you mentioned reading aloud we reading aloud is the number one thing to do for your children if you're trying to teach them to read because it's giving them all that vocabulary. And when children have a wide vocabulary, then they could read grades ahead very easily. Yeah, I I remember we've been reading aloud as a family since the beginning of our family. And once again, you know, I go back to that's how I grew up, you grew up. I still Mm -hmm. remember my earliest memory, uh, my mom would read, you know, back Elsie Densmore Densmore books. And then I remember reading the Unabridged Twist Family Robinson um, right, right there in the living room at, I mean, as a very young boy, she said she read the unabridged uncle Tom's cabin. Yeah, exactly. To us as a family in the, in the living room. Uh, and so I grew up with that and, and loved it. 
as a kid being a five, six, seven, eight year old boy. And I would get to like play with Lincoln logs or, or color while she was doing it. But I got into the stories, um, to be sure. And it was one of those things that we could do through a, a wide age range, mm-hmm. right? I was with my older siblings and my younger siblings. And so it is such a great, uh, thing to incorporate into just the home life. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's memory building, like yes. you said. Um, and then when children hear you read aloud, they get to pay attention to cadence and voice inflection and just the way that you read. And so they pick up on that. And then when they go to read, they naturally do those things and they get hooked on a story. When you read, you start with picture books, but then when you move to chapter books and their imaginations take over, they know that when they open up a book, you know, I shared this before. Yeah, say, I think that's what I was going to, I forgot that's what I was going to yeah. say. But yeah, share what Leon said. Yeah. Well, you could tell him. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to remember it better because he was what, four and a half years old when he said this, maybe five. Yeah. And he opened up one of the McGuffey readers and he goes, mommy, I, a little bit ago, I would have opened up this book and just thought this is so boring, but now I know there's an awesome story inside and I can't wait to read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, how cool is that? That he knows it's not just a bunch of words. There's something inside and I can't wait to figure out what it is. Yeah. And so when you're reading, you can, you could can cover so many stories so fast that the children start getting used to the arc of the story and the depth of the characters and how long it takes to get into a story. So when they start to read thicker, bigger books, they are they know that if they stick in it, it's going to get good. Boy, and I, I still have to do that. I mean, well, we you're just, reading some big old books. <laughs> yeah, like just finishing uh, Last of the Mohicans, that one, it was like chapter three, chapter four. And I was like, just keep going, just keep going. This is going to pay off. And of course it, it, it did. Yeah. With all the books, I feel like I've read in book club this year. There's an element of that really needing to work for it. But then the payoff is so much greater than a lot of the more short form entertainment that we're so accustomed to. Yeah. It's almost like the longer the takeoff, the better the yes. book's going to be. Yes. <laughs> They're just really laying the groundwork. So then when it goes, okay. And when it comes to readers, I don't get readers, okay? Like, like, I don't know, all the like, oh, this is what a second grade year old, or second grade year old, second grader should be reading. This is what a third grader should be reading. To me, the majority of those stories are cardboard, and it's like someone sat behind a desk writing curriculum and was like, oh, these are the second grade words I need to incorporate in this book. I'm going to write a story around those that's barely a story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I love the great illustrated classics is because we already know that classics stand the test of time. These are compelling stories. Mm-hmm. These have captured audiences for generations. Mm-hmm. My child is going to be interested in this. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not with the rich literature and you know, all the flowery yeah, expressions. Yeah. It's the story itself is worth telling and worth reading. And so it really captivates children anyway. So sticking with classics, even Nate, the greats, I know those are cheesy, but they're 30 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to that. Okay, then we have math. Mm-hmm. And we started having some solid math tiers in math. Yes. And this was a, this was going to be an interesting one because neither you or I valued math at yeah, any we, point. Yeah, we both hated math and said we aren't math people. In our life. Uh, you, with your undergrad, like you did a bare minimum, right, mm-hmm. to get whatever. And I remember choosing my degree that I never finished based off of, I want to do the least amount of math possible, you know, and I had to do two college level math classes and I did them. I got through them, but boy, did I hate that 
yeah, and we just don't want our kids to have these limiting beliefs when it comes to any subject. I think uh, specialization can happen really, really early here in America. And I just, I kind of want our kids to be generalists for a while. Yeah. And so anyways, when it comes to math, I'm kind of following a RC, like a Robinson curriculum approach specifically with math. And that is that it's very student-led, it's very independent, and it is getting to higher mathematics at a young age. Because you're kind of racing against the clock when it comes to things that are unenjoyable for Mm. children. Uh, You either have to give them a big enough body of work that they appreciate it, they know that it feels good to get through this hard thing, they can see the value in it, or you've just gotten done with it. So by the time they're 16, they can move on with their lives. Wow. That's a crazy, how did you say that? It's like, you've got this limited runway of time where yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Because I mean, that's how I view it at least. I think it's a good way to view it because they're so young now and we get to set like what's normal. We're like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is normal. You get a reward, do the work, there's payoff. And the older they get, I mean, I can again, remember turning 12, 13, 14. And then all of a sudden my opinion on what's cool, what matters mm-hmm. is starting to become a lot more uh, a part of how I'm choosing to be educated. Obviously my parents were still the boss, but I had the kids are going to have a big determining factor at, they're going to be a factor at that age, mm-hmm. right? Like how, how and become more and more and more a factor. Yes. With each year that passes. And, and that's when I started saying, well, math's dumb. How, when am I, when do you ever use math? You know, and you find all the validating, uh, support people to come and say, well, yeah, you don't have, you don't ever use math after whatever grade. And, and so you just tell that to yourself time and time again, from I did it from the time I was 12 years old on. I was basically done with math mentally Yeah. when I was 12. I had decided that I was not going to be a math guy. Uh, and so, like you said, capitalizing on those early years. I think of that book that we've set, t- talked about so many times when your kid's 6 to 12. Mm-hmm. And there is something to that age range, roughly, that where your your kids just... Are, they're, they're being shaped. They do what you tell them is cool. They What, what you think is cool, what you think is great... They, they are far more likely to buy into that. You get to create this culture and, and create so many values in your kids. And so that is a fun way to think about it academically. We haven't talked about this, but with things like math that, again, so many people put themselves in a box later in life, like I did, said I'm not a math guy, but it's like I want our kids to be math people by the time they're 12. So yeah, that regardless yeah, of whether exactly. or not they view themselves that way, they've hit a high level. Yeah, I just think when it comes to problem solving, when it comes to logic, I want my kids, when it comes to focus, to be able to sit down and work a problem and not just black out when they see a math problem, be like, oh, I don't do math, you know, like I did for a long time. So also a lot of extracurriculars start popping up when kids are 12, 13, 14. Um, There's a lot of opportunities for children in those ages, whether it's like speech and debate or different clubs, different programs. And so getting the three R's nailed right now is our primary priority. What are the three R's? Like reading, writing, and arithmetic. Nice. You've never heard of that? No. I thought arithmetic started with an A. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And writing doesn't start with an R either, but they're referred to as the three R's. You're right. Writing doesn't start with an R either. I don't know, Katie. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so... I love that you've never heard that before. Okay, so that said, math is one of those things, and we're going into it pretty heavily. Something else that I take from 
Charlotte Mason's philosophy. We've discussed this and decided this is what we want to do. And same with uh, Robinson's philosophy with the Robinson curriculum. It's six days a week. We do school six days a week. And we're big fans of our Sabbath. I mean, you take this from God's philosophy. It's like you work six days a week and then you rest hard when you rest and, and completely. And so that's something that we take with math. We don't do all of our school on Sunday, but we do math and tea in the afternoons with Leon and Lucy while the other kiddos nap after we come home from church. Yeah, on Sundays. And yeah. it does fit our home flow because once again, when we're looking at the holistic well-being of our home, the, whole, the, the health of our home, this the six-day work week just is so healthy to the function of the home. And then like you said, that very intentional 24-hour rest period where you are truly resetting and rejuvenating and unplugging from all of your work activities or academic activities, uh, it's, it's actually better for our home. And you and I were just talking this afternoon because we're, we're recording this on a Sunday evening right now. Uh, and we got home from church because we we take our Sabbath rest from Friday night until Saturday night. Then we go to church on Sunday. We really start our week when we get home from church. And so, which is really fun because in a lot of ways, it feels like we're worshiping the Lord to like really launch into the week. Like we go yeah, up with the saints. Yeah, first day of the week is worshiping. Is worshiping. We're like, this is who we are. This is what this is what we are about is worshiping our Lord and Savior, being with the with the fellow saints, and then we come home and kick into work mode, and and that and school is a part of that. And so I kick into business stuff. You get tea with the kids and start doing your academics, and that. Oh, sorry, this is what I was going to say. You and I both this afternoon we're talking about, and we didn't know this about each other, but I hated Sundays growing up, Sunday mm-hmm. afternoons and evenings. I, I, I enjoyed church, but then Sunday afternoons and evenings were just this drag this, this cloud of like negativity because you were, you couldn't, you were dreading Monday morning. And so you couldn't really enjoy the last of the weekend and you're just putting off, putting off. But then once we just embraced coming home from church and getting to work, it's made it so rewarding. Yeah. Cause you have that clear transition and, and Sunday afternoons really are a transition. It's a slow, you know, I've, I've talked about, it, I like that slow on-ramp. It's a slow on-ramp to the week. And I think sometimes our tra- transitions can be too abrupt in the week. I love the transition of Friday night going straight into rest. That oh, one's yeah. easy. But I like the gradual start of Sunday. It kind of feels like anything you do on Sunday is a bonus because the majority of people aren't working on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I like working from a place of bonus. Yeah. I like working ahead. And because then there's no pressure when you're ahead, yes. there's, there's no pressure. It's like, if we do anything on Sunday, that's a win. And so I really love Sunday afternoon tea and math. I did want to make it special for the kids because I wanted it to feel different than the five day a week school week that we do. And the nice thing about this is when we didn't do math on Sundays, Mondays were always tearful math. Mm. No one wanted to do it because it just was hard. It was abrupt and you're just launching into the week. And also, I I don't know how true this is, but I heard that because math is kind of like a language, when we take two days off to our brains, it's like we're taking three days off. It's too big of a gap for us to retain what we were just working on and stay in that flow. So I never really want the kids to get out of the flow. Anyways, that said, Sundays we do only about like 10 problems. And I have a book called Learn Math Fast. And I've talked about it before. We could link that episode down below and resources that we're loving. But I do that Learn Math Fast book with 
my six-year-old on Sunday. So it's different than his regular textbook. And I am working ahead of his textbook. So again, I like that working ahead. I have my uh, Lucy, she's five and she's learned all of her multiplication tables. She doesn't technically have to use them till third grade. But here in, you know, I don't know, her age would maybe be first grade or kindergarten. Mm -hmm. She knows all those tables. And the nice thing about that is there's there was no pressure to learn them because she doesn't need to use them. And now she has a couple years for those to just marinate. And by the time she has to be using them, she's going to be flying through. That's mm. going to be a piece of cake. And fourth grade was very, very difficult for me because so much is introduced in fourth grade in a very fast way. And if you don't have those foundational facts memorized, then it's a lot of brain power just to be able to recall the facts, let alone work the problem. Mm. So anyways, that's something that we do is we work ahead. And, um, some of the things that I've taught ahead when it comes to, um, using that learn math fast resource is we use Saxon for math. We're going to do that all the way through at this point. And I like to look ahead in the math book and see what's going to be taught. And then I go and I gradually teach that on Sundays. So we've taught multiplication tables, uh, long addition, long subtraction, long multiplication, like month, date, year form, um, starting to learn how to write that, uh, place value, decimals, fractions, and I just gradually introduce this, get the kids used to it. And then when they're seeing these concepts come up in the book, it's no big deal. They recognize it. We've talked about it before. We've gone through long division. This isn't something that's just like, what on earth? Like it was for me. Yeah. I had an amazing moment like two weeks ago where I came into my office. And one of the things you did to make math fun for Leon or to make it interesting is you let him start doing it in my office. So he'd go, he'd be able to light a candle and do his math by himself in there. Uh, and I went one morning, I got up and I came to my office and I sat down and I looked, his, he left his math book out and it blew my mind because it's the exact same Saxon math book that I was using. I mean, as far as like the color, the name, all of it when I was 10 years old and I've got such vivid memories of being 10 years old, working through that math book. It was, it was so bizarre to, to like be sent back to that to that year in my life, but as the father of the son that's going through it. Anyways, Isn't that's a side crazy, point. Isn't that crazy, like a crazy parent moment? Yeah. So, <clears throat> wow, I just inhaled like <clears throat> major dust or something. Mm. So the thing with, so Leon right now, we skipped third grade. I have my reasons for skipping third grade, but at this point I plan on all my kids skipping third grade. Um, with I, math or with it? With, with math. Okay. Kind of with life. I Got mean... It. None of them really read third grade once they were second grade, then they're reading fourth and fifth grade. So I feel like third grade is a lot of repeat aside from they introduce multiplication and they introduce division. And so we've already... It's a pretty big deal. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like two topics and then so much review. And I feel like all the review gets reviewed in fourth grade. So because, again, we're working ahead, my kids are really familiar with multiplication, we did take Uh, a few weeks off of their regular school we took like two weeks off and really immersed in the multiplication tables to get them used to this whole concept of multiplication um but anyways if you know multiplication you can figure out division pretty easy so we did that so leon's six and at six and a half i started him on fourth grade and he's crushing it on fourth grade Mm -hmm. it 
I feel like a lot of one reason why kids get frustrated with math is not actually because it's so hard. It's because it's so boring. And so keeping him engaged has eliminated a lot of his frustration with math. Again, because we're working ahead, this is actually a lot more gentle approach to math because I'm not trying to stay on this grade hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. We're years ahead. And so we could take as long as we want to get through the math. I think a big reason why fourth grade is really hard is because kids in Saxon, at least, kids stop doing the workbooks that are already printed and they start having to write out all their own problems. Mm. So we're using graph paper. So he keeps his um, numbers in order, you know, the columns and stuff like that. And again, I just started giving him before diving into the fourth grade math book, just in learn math fast, we went through and I'd give him five problems at a time where he just had to write them out because there's a learning curve there when it comes to just writing out your problems. So it's been a, it's been this onboarding process, I guess. And it's really just my own philosophy that we're following here. So (laughs) who knows how uh, good it's going to be. But at this point, it's very easy for him to write out his problems and do his math. And, and I'm still sitting with him while he does it. He's not completely independent right now. But he does his tests on his own. And then we don't do necessarily a full lesson every day. There's a lot of problems in Saxon. I believe in doing every single problem in Saxon when it gets to fourth grade because that is how the designer designed it. And I think there's a lot of science that goes into how the designer will design something. And I want the curriculum to, curriculum to work. So, so we'll do about 25 problems a day. And that might include practice problems like the ABCs and the one, two, threes. If you do Saxon, you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, But it's just about 25 problems a day in Saxon. So he's doing fourth grade. Lucy's doing second grade at um, five years old. She usually does about 20 to 30 minutes. Leon usually does about 30 to 40 minutes. And then Louis is just doing kindergarten. He's getting ready to go into first grade as soon as his book gets here. I just ordered that. Uh, which I'm really excited about. And one example of how I work ahead, even at this beginning, is Louis four and he has his doubles memorized because almost all your arithmetic is based off of doubles in first grade. And so I'd just rather he be really familiar with those even b- before he's conceptualizing addition and subtraction. You know, I, I do it on the abacus so he can see, but I want him to have those down pat so it's not stressful going into first grade. Love it. Okay, lots of stuff. All right. Next, we've got history and literature. Again, you and I love it. Yeah, we do. (laughs) When Elisha and I were talking about history and literature, we're like, okay, what did all the history that you remember came from what? Your textbooks? No. How did it come from? Is that a joke? Yeah, it was a joke. Oh, um, I don't know. Do do I know? Did we talk about this? Any history that you remember. Just reading. Reading. There, yeah, like fiction, nonfiction. You said the bio- right answer, yeah. Got it. <laughs> Biographies, uh, all of it, yeah. Yeah, when we were talking about this, we're like, the only history we remember, recall at all came from a book we read. Yeah. That was not a textbook. Right. And so that's something that I really align with Charlotte Mason on, is living stories Yes. are where you're going to actually retain information. You connect with a character and mm. their soul and the soul of the story and everything else falls into place. So this is where we kind of combine classical conversations and Charlotte Mason, and that I do have the children memorize the 15-minute timeline song. 
Yeah. I, I will say I want to get better at the timeline for my sake. That has been so helpful as we're, we sing that timeline song and we listen to it in the car. It's putting, it's piecing things together for me as an adult that is, that are so helpful. And when you have like another member of the, um, was it like the peg? Like when you're, when you're doing the speed reading or yeah, the, totally. you, like you have the peg thing to try to you put memorize. pegs in your memory yeah. and then you recall them or like you have different rooms in your house exactly. and you put things in each room. Yes. I do feel like understanding the timeline, knowing the timeline of history just gives you one more like template or, or like this, this, um, this graft or what's the word I'm looking for? Like this great to be able to plug things in at, uh, because even as I'm, you know, I read Jonathan Edwards biography and then I'm reading, um, uh, it's just weird when I read, or I was reading, I was reading, uh, the brothers Karamazov Dostoevsky and he quotes, um, the last of the Mohicans. And that blew my mind because I was like, wait a second, how do these timelines work out at all? How do they add up? And then you go to some of the theology that we are going to be studying with our kids and when, where Jonathan Edwards was living, you know, and then in regards to the, I think he was in Connecticut, if I remember correctly, or he was in, he was in New England and where that was at in, in relation to last of the Mohicans and like how those timelines kind of overlap in a lot, in a lot of ways, as far as John, John Edwards dad, they seem like so unrelated when you just, I don't even know why I'm talking about all this. This no, is how no. I'm processing yeah, yeah. it. Uh, and it's the same. I think, you know, mathematically it helps big time too, because when you think just like you throw out time frames, you're like, Oh, you know, you know, back in the civil war, whatever, 200, 300 years ago. And you just kind of throw a number out there. It's so vague and there's nothing personal about it. But then when you know a character that lived during that time frame and you read a story uh, about their life, or I think mm-hmm. of even, you know, World War One and learning about Sergeant York, how, and then you learn about what our country was like during that time. Yeah. There, I mean, at least Tennessee and, and Kentucky, that area, you yeah. get to learn a little bit about that and the culture and what the religion was like, you know, the Christian religion was like in that area and, and then what they were learning theologically. It just gives you all this context, but the timeline for me, has been so helpful over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been incredibly helpful for me too. And this is where the Charlotte Mesa philosophy and neoclassicalism collides and doesn't really match up because Charlotte Mason says you should always give the child context for what you're teaching them, whereas neoclassicalism, or whatever that is, really focuses on the child memorizing abstract facts that they have no context for and giving context later. Mm. And this is where we kind of see the benefit in both theories and we've seen the benefit in our home in both ways i do think context is super important but kids do love to memorize songs they sing that song they don't know what the boer wars are in africa right but then i'm reading the biography david livingston to the kids and oh my goodness the boer wars are showing up no way yeah that's awesome and all of a sudden i'm like no way like i had no clue where the boer wars like what they had to do with anything, yes, you know, and now I'm applying them to this character and the kids are like, no way. That's so cool. This is where on the timeline, David Livingston lived. And then, you know, there's references in David Livingston to, okay, I got it wrong the other day, the civil war. Yeah. The, the civil war. Wow. Yeah. The American civil war wow. happening at the same time. It's like, what? Yes. And so Leon, you know, is reading the Red Badge of Courage and is tying that into the Civil War. And then we're reading Ulysses Grant and he was a general during the Civil War. And we have Abraham Lincoln who was president during the Civil War. And all these things are just coming together. And it's so cool to see 
for the first time in my life, I'm actually understanding history hmm. because I remember all these random facts from random books I read, Yes, but none of it makes sense in correlation to everything else. Like right. when it comes to composers and artists and wars and leaders, wow. it's all just these one-off little pockets. You're so right. Cause even th I want to go back to the composers cause in, you know, doing classical piano as a kid, you go through the composers and the different, um, what do you call the eras? Like the Romantic period, the Baroque yeah, like period, the Renaissance, the, the classical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the All the different periods, yeah. yeah, of music, and they were so obscure to me at the time. But it would be so fun to to go back and be like, oh no way, you know, Debussy was alive at the same time as this wh whoever this you know this American hero that I yes. you know loved reading about. And know. I think that that's how we're approaching history is more than I mean the. Classical Conversations Timeline Song, which you can look up online. You don't have to do the Classical Conversations program to get that. Um, we just bought the CDs and play those in our home. But their timeline, oh my goodness, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, we're basically taking history, autobiographies, biographies, however we're reading the history, and instead of focusing so much on the dates, that timeline does have dates in it, but instead of having the kids memorize like 1906 to 1915, this happened for every single book they read, if they can just tie in that person to someone, to, to the timeline, then they will be able to remember the date, if that makes sense, because the yes. timeline already has these dates in it, so they'll be able to get this rough estimate of when this was going on, whether that was the 19 early 1900s late yeah. 1900s or the presidents right yeah so we also learn the american i mean that's kind of the classical conversations yeah. president song because there's a few presidents like because i think wasn't teddy roosevelt president there in the early 1900s but then you go to some of these obscure presidents and, and i've got no clue i'm like i didn't yeah. know they existed but if you've got like a historical event or a timeline to peg them Yes. And so I guess I'm comfortable being slower, adding the conceptual or the context, but having the timeline laid. And so we have the overall history timeline. We also have the American timeline, which for me is the president's. Yes. And then we're going in and adding color to that as we go. So, you know, we're reading, we just read a Ulysses Grant biography. And so all of a sudden, oh, the kids totally know we have a placemat and the kids sing the song while pointing to the faces on the placemat. So they're associating the the face with the um, president. Yeah. And all of a sudden the kids know, oh, Ulysses Grant. That's crazy. He was a general during Abraham Lincoln. And then two, um, two terms later, he was president. Yes. Or two presidents later, he was, right. he was president. And then, you know, I'm just getting out while well, the kids got into Elisha's wallet and Leanne comes running up to me and is like, mommy, Alyssa's grant is on the $50 bill. Yeah. I spent my whole life and had no clue who that dude was, <laughs> but he recognized his face from the, I mean, there, there is a word there too, but he recognized his face from the place guard. Yeah. That's cool. So anyways, that's how we're doing history. We're, we're combining both, both philosophies there or using aspects of both philosophies. Uh, so I read at breakfast and I read at lunch and we read either a biography or autobiography of a missionary, composer, um, author, inventor, famous person, yeah. inventor, something. And then we also read uh, a fictional book. Mm -hmm. So that might be The Wind in the Willows, or this is usually a classic, you know, The Wizard of Oz, Narnia, mm -hmm. something that they're going to also give reference and that will be referenced in life. Yes. And it's so fun how often the books that we read get referenced oh. in sermons on the radio. Yes. 
our kids if they're speakers. exactly their their minds are blown all the time in church when either a, 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 you know obviously a passage is referenced that they know about you know when abraham's quoted but then when c.s lewis is quoted and like they can't believe it you know or there's an aslan quote or, or tolkien like they their mind is blown yeah or shakespeare yes like popular passages in shakespeare we aren't reading like straight up shakespeare but they've men- memorized passages of shakespeare and it's just like oh my goodness they have this context so i think that's really fun when you show children how what they're learning is actually gives them greater insight into the world mm. it's just so fun like life is learning that yeah. is what we're here to do not, not what we're here to do. That is one thing that we get to do yes. here as humans, as we are glorifying God and working to serve him. We yes. get to learn. And that is why I guess I'm not too attached to one philosophy because for every homeschooling philosophy out there, you will have a child who thrived with it and a child who will say it was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And Elisha and I do have the goal of some kind of standardization when it comes to our children, as far as we want them all to hit certain benchmarks, but how we inspire them to hit those benchmarks, we're willing to flex on. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to put it because we don't want, like you said at the beginning, we never want to take the joy out of learning. We never want to be killjoys here when it comes to learning uh, and academics. And I think you need, there are hardships that come with learning. Mm -hmm. You've got to work through things. There's toil, there's labor, uh, but you don't want it to be like, okay, we're in month four of Leon crying every time when he does his math. Like, we're not going to get to that point. No. Like, we're going to change up the tactics uh, if that's the case. And that hasn't been the case yet. You've been able to adapt and be tactical in how you're presenting various topics so that it's stayed enjoyable and fresh for the kids. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we're going really long, but I'm just going to keep going here. Keep if on. you are interested, then welcome. <laughs> if, if you tapped out a long time ago, then you aren't here. Okay. So... Yeah, anyways, events in history, we read events in history like the Titanic sinking. And this is what's so cool is we will hear something like we got a picture book on the Titanic and the, from the library. And I was like, the kids wanted to learn more. And so I was like, I'll get a book and I'll read you stories of people who survived the Titanic. So, you, so we read those. And then when we watched the Sergeant York and Leanne asked, Mommy, as soon as the movie was over, he goes, Mommy, can you give me a book on that? Because he knows that there's more to mm. be had about these characters and that just are these people and these events. So I just love that. Right now we're reading about Corey Ten Boom to provide context for World War II. And so the kids are loving that. It's fun because it's a girl heroine. And so Lucy likes that. But then it's about a wartime. So that's how the boys are very interested. We read about Mozart earlier this year. Um uh, read about Leonardo da Vinci. The kids just call him Leonardo on this first name, first name basis with that guy. Nice. <laughs> um, but it's really fun. And again, like in Sergeant York, I learned that Mark Twain, Daniel Boone, and Davy Crockett, and Sergeant York all grew up in that or have ties to that Wolf River Valley um, wow. area. Not bad. Which is like a very impoverished place, but they just fought for everything they had and came out of it. Wow. Anyways, major respect. Yes. Okay. When it comes to science, this one's going to be really quick and easy. We essentially do natural science, which is being outdoors, experiencing nature. Um, no, I, I felt a lot of, and it's, and it's interest led. It's, Hey, we could get a book at the library. You could read on it. If you have an interest in it, you're welcome to read as much as you want. 
I'll research stuff with you. Um, but we do not have a science text. We are not doing science experiments in our home or stuff like that at this point. Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know if I, like, I didn't like math, but I did math. I didn't like science and I didn't know science in my, in my, I didn't uh, either. In my life. And so that shows you about how much I value it. Uh, I'm hoping that if my kids have a great math foundation and a foundation, everything else, and they show an interest in that later in life, then they will have the tools necessary to pursue it. But like you said, we're not doing the, we're not doing the volcano experiment or anything like that. In their yeah. Kitchen. Well, this is the, this is the thing. Robinson, Art, Art Robinson, who he came up with the Robinson curriculum, all of his kids are, he has six kids and three of them are nuclear engineers. They have PhDs. They're all mathematicians or scientists at a very, very high level. And he said science is a total waste of time. It's fake science until you can do physics. If you cannot do physics and math, then you can't even apply science. And so you aren't going to be able to, he was a scientist and that really freed me, I guess. We're going to focus on the math. If one of my kids wants to get into science, they are going to have the math foundation to be able to apply science. And I'm totally comfortable introducing them to, to the world. You know, we read about the earth and different aspects of the moon and the solar system and stuff like that. It's all very fascinating to them. They have compasses and North South East. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know they're picking up a ton of stuff mm -hmm. about nature parts of a flower parts of animals and stuff like that uh but he was saying this art guy who i guess is a scientist who has more experience than elisha and i in science <laughs> i'm just taking his word for it i probably sound totally dumb um was saying how like chemistry and science, if you haven't done physics, it's just fake chemistry. Like none of it is actually real hmm. in terms of, okay, the teacher leaves and you can't do the experiment because you don't even know what you're doing. Oh, interesting. So I don't know. I've never done it, but according to him, it's a waste of time until yeah. you have the math background. So whatever, mm. we're focusing on the math background and natural science. Yes. Until someone convinces me otherwise. Yeah. Feel free in the comments to convince me otherwise because I would love to be convinced if there's convincing to do. Okay, music. Elisha, can you touch on that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, right now, Leon's playing the fiddle. He is doing great. He had a huge breakthrough, I'd say, about two weeks ago. We just started being consistent, what, three months ago? Yes, because he started the fiddle about a year ago for last year's Christmas concert. We practiced for a couple of months. He learned a couple tunes, and then we totally dropped it. Mm -hmm. And then we took it back out a few weeks ago, and that's been so fun. And it's ignited in him a desire to practice on his own now. And just like when you teach your when your kid's able to read, they're then able to do so much independent learning. They're able to read through their math lesson and then start their math problems on their own and so forth. It's the same thing when you get your kid to a certain threshold on the fiddle. It's like, okay, they can practice by themselves now. They've got their basic scales. They've got a couple tunes that they can work through. And now he's already starting to sound things out on his own because there's a bunch of Christmas music playing around these days. So he's sounding out Jingle Bells or he's sounding out Silent Night on the fiddle. And he gets to do that kind of as a reward after he practices his more technical things on the fiddle. And so he's loving that. Lucy's playing the fiddle as well. 
she's had a great breakthrough. She's loving that. And this is something we've incorporated into our evening routine. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gone pretty much the entire day. I get home before dinner. We eat dinner together as a family. We clean up dinner and then we go straight into our fiddle lessons or our music time. And so I'm, and these are real short lessons too, real short practice times. So I'm maybe 15 minutes with Leon maybe 10 or 15 minutes with Lucy. And then just a few days ago, I started teaching Lewis the mandolin and he's loving that. And again, I, we are the most like, we're the biggest fans of our kids. We are so <laughs> biased and we think these kids are awesome, but I truly am blown away with Lewis's fine motor skills and his ability to play already with great technique on the mandolin. Uh, and so that's, again, it takes all in all those three kids, probably less than 45 minutes after dinner, right before reading time. And, uh, and we're loving it. And sometimes you'll just take one of them too. So sometimes we don't have time for a full 45 minutes. Like tonight you just took Louie. That's a good point. Yep. And just did a little lesson with him while the other kids went to bed. So when it comes to, and you guys, so Leon just started Votberg Music Academy. And so I, I did that whole like embitterment screen conversation and the kids are doing Votberg Music Academy, which is on a computer. Mm. Um, but I guess it's not this, it's not gamified. Mm-hmm. It's an instructor that's teaching a pretty boring We, like, we are really refining our overall <laughs> philosophy with screens, and I think it yeah. deserves a full episode because we can yeah, share all true. the disclaimers. You have a whole but, philosophy on this. Yeah. So anyways, that said, we do feel comfortable with not having an in-person instructor. Like Elisha's the in-person instructor, but then we do have... Um, the kids, when they want to do more, they can go on and watch the Vote Bird Music Academy lesson and work with that instructor if I don't have time to work with them and Elisha doesn't. And when it comes to music, um, same with reading now, with the children that can read, they are not required to read. They get to read to mommy and then they get to read before they go to bed with their little reading lights and they earned those by reading a certain amount of books. And then when it comes to music, I will ask them, once in the morning to get out and play through their song or their songs, whatever they're working on. And that's it. They have no required like 15 minutes of practice, 30 minutes of practice, whatever. None of that's required. And we play family music in the evenings and they are so motivated to learn new songs, to be able to play together as a family yes, and to play for the family and to get video to send to their cousins and, um, I'm really excited to put together a little program. We're going to start going to old folks' homes like Elisha and I did growing up. I think we have a big enough body of work now to be able to do that. And they're just excited. Music is a privilege in our home, just like reading is a privilege in our home. Yeah, and a big part of that, and this goes into every category of academics and extracurricular activities that you want your children to pursue, you have to at least expose them to people that are a little bit older than them that are doing it and doing it well. And I think of how fired up all of our kids got with music when the rapier family came after the rapier family came over for dinner and mm-hmm. they all played music afterwards. And we were singing hymns together and singing worship songs like that night, all of the kids had their instruments out and they were practicing because they saw kids that were a few years older than them playing music. And that's exactly how it was for me growing up when I'd mm-hmm. see somebody a few years older playing an instrument or doing, you talking about math or reading a certain book. I was like, Oh, okay. That's, I want to do that. I want to go do that thing. And so as if you can do that with categories you want your, or in subjects you want your kids to grow in, then it's extremely helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that whole giving them a taste of what can be while they're still working on the 
difficult parts. Yes. It's like that with me reading aloud, I'm giving them a taste of what can be by Elisha playing music or being around people that they look up to that are playing music. They go, I don't want to be left out. I'm, yeah. I'm getting, I'm missing out on something. I need to learn this skill. So I get to participate and I really want to be creative in how we do that with things like math and the sciences and get them around people, whether that's through internships or whatever that have our children going like, Oh, this is the application for this stuff. I need to learn this if I want to understand. Yeah. I mean, I you can, to, you can yeah. do that for a bunch of categories that maybe a, a boy would think are cool, but wouldn't think math up, whether it's a pilot, yeah. like, Hey, yes. like how much go, how much math goes into getting your pilot's license or, or scuba diving. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh, is this, is this a cool thing? Well, you actually have to know math. Like again, this isn't, you don't have or to like know long calculus. Range sh- shooting, like yes. sniping yes. type. I'm not like sniping people. I don't, I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> I don't want my boys to join the military, uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, maybe yes. that's in one of their future, but it's definitely something that interests them right now. So if right. I'm telling them like, Hey, a sniper has to know how to do math, then yes. like they're very motivated to learn that or right. sailing or there's yes. so many things where it's like, you need to know numbers and you need to be accurate with numbers. Yes. So anyways, that's kind of something that we're throwing around here. Um, and then, yeah, I think the other things are just memory. We memorize catechisms. We memorize scripture. We memorize poetry. Um, just things that we want our children to to give them ideas, to give them food for thought when they're just laying around, um, to meditate on. Mm-hmm. And we sing hymns together as a family. We sing songs. And then a lot of outdoor play. And every day from one to three is a rest time. So if they aren't reading with me, they are in the room and they're resting. They go to bed at seven and they get to read in bed if they would like. And that's kind of their day. Yeah. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> we said we were going to keep this to 30 minutes. I said I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep it to 30 minutes, but I thought we could always cut this, this video. Sure. You know, and just yeah, sure the end, sure the second half to an elite group of people. <laughs> well, I was thinking we could share it to the homeschool group or to the Get It All Done Club because I do know that they're interested in this stuff. So, anyways, that's that's where we're at with our kids. We really, we really love it. Our kids really love it, and um, we'll see where where it goes from there. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.